0: Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Welcome back to the William Briggs Show. This is episode two. The date is 30 September 2009. Today, along with a lot of miscellaneous street noise, we have men's fashion, the limits of human knowledge, and a little bit of fun with cultural comedy. So stick around. Anything you can wear, I can wear better. In what you wear, I'd look better than you. In my coat? In your vest? In my shoes? In your hat? No, you can't! Alright, right, the first thing we want to talk about is a depressing trend in men's fashion. I want to talk about men's ties and the distressing trend of men wearing ties without jackets. This looks ridiculous. Uh, It's one thing to have your jacket off, your coat off at the office, you're sitting at your desk, your sleeves are rolled up, and you're diligently beavering away. But if you're going to go to work wearing just a tie and no jacket, you look unbalanced. The reason for the tie, or a cravat or an ascot in the first place, is to provide an extra bit of thickness for balance around your neck when you're wearing a jacket. Uh, No other item of clothing can do more for you than a jacket. A jacket will correct more flaws and hide more uh, things that you don't want seen than anything else. Uh, Nowadays, you see people wear these ties. The ties start at their neck and they drape down below their crotch. They they exist more as a decoration for ellies than they are for uh, a decoration for the neck. And they look just silly. If you're going to go without a jacket, don't wear the tie. Or wear the jacket and then wear the tie. They used to make ties back in the 30s and 40s and 50s that were quite short. Ties were meant to tie so that the fat end would end up, oh, midway down your chest somewhere. And if you tied it properly, this is what would happen. Nowadays, the manufacturers know that men want to cover up all their shirt buttons and uh, even their belt and part of their zipper, so that they manufacture the ties so they're 8, 10 inches, even a foot longer than some of the old ties. I have quite a few old vintage ties and the difference is remarkable. So if you get a tie, uh, one of these new modern ties, and you want to tie it properly so that the uh, fat end comes some way halfway, three quarters down your chest... Uh, Tie it so that that's the case, and you'll have a large back end of the tie hanging down. It'll be way too long. And now you don't want to cut this off. That'll ruin the tie. But what you do is you open your shirt buttons, tuck the back end of the tie in, uh, and then button it back up. And no one will ever see this, and your tie will look more balanced. Now, before we get to the next thing, there's going to be quite a lot of street noise. There's... Construction, it seems to me, going on above me. Ambulances, uh, fire trucks, police wagons, uh, people honking their horns, and of course the ever-glorious car alarm. The most wasteful and idiotic invention of mankind uh, probably of all time. Every car nowadays, every modern car, comes equipped with a car alarm, an audible, shrill a beacon to awaken everybody if someone even so much as jostles a car or a heavy truck drives by and rattles it a bit. This is ridiculous because every car that is stolen has a car alarm. Uh, so car alarms don't do anything, especially in the city. I've seen many people, uh, tell me stories about how their car was broken into or stolen. Each one of them had a car alarm. Perhaps we can hear that little siren going off in the background there. There's nothing I could do about it. Uh, New York City is an enormously loud place, and uh, I don't have a a soundproof studio or anything like that, so we have to make do. Uh, But it gives you the feeling of being there, of being live, so we'll work with it. Now, the next little bit of fashion trend, uh, once we've corrected our tie situation, is sweaters. For God's sake, don't take your sweater off and tie it around your neck so you look like some kind of mild-mannered biff or something nothing makes you look more effeminate than having a sweater tied around your neck except if you tie it around your waist for god's sakes be a man about it hold that sucker in your hands or just don't wear it live with the cold it's not that bad you'll get over it i don't want any more trouble like you had last year on the south side understand that's my policy Yes. Well, when I see five weirdos dressed in togas stabbing a guy in the middle of the park in full view of a hundred people, I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. That was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar, you moron. All right, let's talk about the limits of human knowledge. I want to talk about how that contrasts with this idea of a singularity. And I'll describe what a singularity is. I'll describe what I mean by human knowledge. But let's first think about uh, sports. Let's think about marathons are about uh, a little over 26th and uh, 5th mile, something like this. Since the marathon has been back in action, so to speak, for the past 50, 100 years, times have been improving. The first performances weren't that great. And as years went by, the top contenders, uh, the men ran faster and faster. Now, this is because of obvious improvements in training and in nutrition and in recognizing uh, how to run a marathon, what, what times you put on bursts of speed and what times you slack off a bit and all this sort of thing. And the training is becoming more and more specialized. As people realize that they could train uh, running in uh, a high up mountain atmosphere, say, where the oxygen content is lower, it could build up the red blood vessels. And then uh, at the end of the day, when the training is over, they descend the mountain and can breathe easier and all sorts of improvements like this have coming about. And soon people are going to figure out, uh, well, they'll do one or two more things and try start the training earlier, maybe when they're 13 years old or something like this and times will improve a little bit more, but they're not going to keep improving. The human race is not changing at a fast enough clip uh, to find faster runners. Uh, We might find some cache of runners in some country that has not regularly participated, and that might boost speeds a little, but there's going to come a point, and it already looks like if you were to make a plot of the data, the plot of the data by The time of the marathon for the fastest runners is sort of plateauing or mathematically asymptoting at some level. I don't know what that level is going to be, but it can't be that we can continuously improve forever. There's a limit that human physiology imposes on mankind's ability to run the marathon. And I think everybody sort of accepts that. Now, again, improvements might be coming for a, a large number of years to come, but they're not going to come forever. Now I want you to think about yourself. Uh, Think about your ability to do, let's say, math. And let's say that you're like most people who don't have a great affection for math and you realize that uh, you're able to do some math. And if you really apply yourself and study and work at it and memorize and do a lot of drills. Maybe you can get as far as calculus and do some of the basics of that. But while you can do it, you can't quite understand what's going on with it. You haven't penetrated its depths. You don't really want to go farther, but you can push yourself. And you realize maybe if you started a little earlier in your life and uh, set to it diligently, a lot of self-discipline, you might even go a little farther than you can go or have gone so far. So, we all have limits. Now, maybe it's not mathematical, maybe it's musical, uh, maybe it's uh, literary, uh, maybe your wordsmithing abilities aren't up to snuff. But whatever it is, whatever intellectual ability is, we all have our own limits. Now again, these limits might have been increased for each of us a little. We could have found out that if we began training a little earlier, or perhaps even better for boys, for instance, training a little later, Leaving our early years to be somewhat more rambunctious, and tied to a desk and made to sit still, otherwise fed riddling and told to behave. Well, we'll we'll ignore that. In any case, there might be something out there uh, that we could have done through our life, and we could have pushed ourselves a little bit more. But there was a limit for each of us, and in how intelligent we could have become in any particular field or in all fields. So I want you to think about that as far as yourself, and then I want you to think that that also applies to everybody else. Now it is the case that there's a large percentage of the human population that is not as well trained as we are in Western cultures, and that eventually, as things improve, and things have been improving for hundreds of years, they will do better. Individuals in other countries will also do better. And so, if you want to think about the sort of average now, the average across humans, that average will undoubtedly increase. This is native intelligence, people's native abilities to do something. I'm not talking about uh, technologies increase or Moore's Law or something like this. We're talking about people's individual capacities for intellectual achievement. The human race's intellectual achievement on average or intellectual ability, if you will, will certainly increase. But there will come a point after we have Gene Roddenberry type conditions in which money is no more and everybody is fully trained and energy is free and limitless and all this sort of thing, where everybody is pushed to their utmost limit. Whatever that limit happens to be, I don't know. And at that time, the average will be, it'll plateau, it'll asymptote. Now, there might be genetic uh, manipulations, other things, that uh, biological improvements or enhancements that you might imagine. A lot of these are in the realm of science fiction, and it's not that interesting whether or not they're true, because let's imagine that they are true. The human skull, the cranium, the gray matter up there, can only do so much, can only be pushed so far. There's some architecture to the brain that... Now, the brain has some sort of architecture and you can only push it so far. You can only push any engineering design so far. It might be very far. I don't know. But whatever it will be, there will be a point at which it cannot be increased any further without uh, whatever the creation is no longer being defined as human. In any case, that is all science fiction. The way it is right now, the way it is with humans as we exist, with our current capabilities and so forth, we have a limit. We have a limit that uh, well, a lot of us are pretty close to. Now, a lot of people in the world are not close to their limits, but that will come. So, what have we just? Dis- what have we discovered? We've discovered that each of us has a limit, and where most of us, at least most of my listeners, are probably somewhat near it, perhaps ten percent off of it most of the rest of the world is the non-Western world anywhere, not quite near their limit but uh, with improvements to particularly in energy, that'll come. And so there is a point at which the average intelligence of the human race will increase and continue to increase, but at some point it's going to plateau. We're only so smart. Uh, Another way to put all this is that in sciences it used to be the case that one could be conversant with all of the sciences or at least know them in depth even Uh, understand chemistry understand physics understand mathematics and engineering and everything that is no longer the case so you might have a broad uh, view of most of these subjects but not one of us anymore can understand all of them there's just too much to know And this is the problem as humanity increases in number and experience uh will each of course each of us are pretty near our intellectual limits but it's going to be the case that only a certain few of us can understand a lot and most of us will only understand a little of the total sum of knowledge so humanity itself it might reach some sort of limit sooner than we think. I don't know what this point is going to be. So let's imagine we could draw a graph of this. And if you're going to be on the website, uh, that's going to be wmbriggs.com, two Gs. There'll be a little picture of this, but if you're not on the website, we could draw this together. Get a piece of paper, just a regular uh, piece of paper, and orient it so that the long side is facing you. Draw, at the top and the bottom, two horizontal lines. Now, at the bottom left, start the bottom part of an S and draw a large sweeping S so that the bottom part starts in the bottom left and the top part starts way in the top right. What you have just drawn is a typical growth curve. Growth usually at the bottom part of the S, the bottom curve of the S usually starts out nice and flat and growth is slow changes accumulate but they do so at a pace that is very very minimal and as time goes on certain point is reached in which there's sort of a inflection point if you will and it growth becomes exponential and that's certainly the way it looks to be with technology and science with the human race We are certainly at some point on that curve where the growth is exponential. I'm not quite certain where that point is, but let's pretend that we're somewhat near the top of that curve. If we're near the top of that curve, we're going to be able to learn a little bit more because we're smart enough to learn just a little bit more, but we're not really, really smart enough to learn a lot more. And so human knowledge might asymptote out. Well, it's going to have to asymptote out no matter where we are. We might not be near that point right now, but it it has to. It must asymptote out. This is my argument. So the only question is, where are we on this growth curve? All growth curves have this shape. It has a that introductory point, an exponential growth phase, and then a tapering off phase. And if you want to continue it, it has a sort of a death curve to it where the growth goes back down in the other direction. Well, with hope, that's not going to happen to the human race. Now, this is one view of things. My guess is the way things are becoming, we have another 100, 200 years. There's no way to stick around to verify my prediction, at least uh, none that I know of as of yet, unless I want to have someone, Ted Williams in my head, put it in a freezer somewhere. I want you to think about something else. It also seems to be the case. And no one knows quite why this is exactly. But as cultures become more wealthy, at least in terms of energy, uh, where they have more free time, where they have more leisure, where they're well, where they're not worried where the next meal is coming from. These cultures tend to have fewer children. Everybody knows this. Uh, Countries such as Japan, Italy, France, and so forth. Most European countries, very highly uh, developed uh, first world countries the birth rate is very low. The birth rate is below what they call replacement levels, so that you need to have, every person needs to have at least one kid to their name, a little bit more statistically, because not every kid makes it to reproductive age, but that's neither here nor there. So what happens is, as we improve, we have fewer children. We're gonna, there's sort of a self-limiting hedonistic Plateau We impose on ourselves where people want to sit back and relax a little bit. So that's working against humanity's knowledge increase as well as our individual capacities for intelligence. So you marry those two things together and it sort of argues that we will reach a point, perhaps even somewhat soon, like I say, maybe 200 years, where we're going to more or less plateau and our technological capabilities and our intelligence and so forth. Now, this could be wildly wrong. It could be wildly off. It could be that this idea of a singularity is true. So we need to find out what a singularity is and how it differs from my conception of this growth curve limit of human knowledge. And we'll do that right after this. With mine entwine Love, my soul for thee doth pine Thine eye doth shine Thine life with mine combine Love, thou art my valentine Lips like apple wine, face like calcimine, oh fine, my clinging vine, my voice for thee doth whine, you're older than all Lang Syne. Star, how you wonder who I am way up in the sky so low you're a better man than I am, old black Joe. Sleeps in his little bear skin. He sleeps very well, I am told. Last night I slept in my little bear skin, and I got a heck of a cold. B.O. A Renso White! B.O. A Porridge hot, Peas Porridge cold, Peas Porridge in the pot, nine days old. (whistles) (whistles) P.U. We're hooping it up. Boy, I tell you what, after you listen to that, you might argue persuasively that we have already reached a plateau and we're back on our way down and have been for some time. That's uh, Spike Jones with the Liebenstrom. All right, the singularity. Now, the, the guy who named it was a... I think it was a mathematician or physicist or a combination of both, a guy named Werner Vinge, who writes science fiction novels. He wasn't the first to come up with the idea, though. Uh, the, he, he was the name, but he gave it the name Singularity. Another guy, uh, another guy came up with the idea of it. And he was a statistician. His name was I.J. Good. He wrote a book called, uh, well, he has several collections of his papers and so forth, but one of them out there is called Good Thinking. I highly recommend it. He was an influential philosopher of statistics in the the sort of modern way, which we'll talk about another time. But he had the idea of an intelligence explosion. He thought that uh, we could start creating machines that could start designing themselves. And as the machines got better because we got better, the machines would eventually be able to design something that surpassed what we could understand. And this is the idea of the singularity as well. It's an idea where intelligence increases so much, uh, usually in the form of artificial intelligence, of which I am no great fan, or no great believer, I should say. As that increases in complexity and computers or software or whatever it is becomes intelligent enough to program itself And quickly surpasses humanity's ability to comprehend what's going on. And that's when the machines take over. We've certainly seen that enough in science fiction. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that we'll be smart enough to design machines that are smarter than us. It is true that there is more human knowledge than any one human could understand. So that the greater part of human knowledge that could be stored on some machine is greater than any individual human can understand. But this is not to say that the machine is sentient or alive. And there we'll have to talk about another time why I don't believe uh, most of the claims of artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about uh, John Searle and his Chinese room experiment and so on. We'll get to that another time. But I don't believe it. One big reason, even if you believe uh, most of the claims of strong AI, is that machines as far as we have them now, the actual technology of them, are orders and orders of magnitude less complex than the human brain. They are not able to come even the barest fraction of a whiff, of a scent, of being even a thought, of a hint, of being able to reproduce what the human mind can do. And it's going to have to be... I mean, the the human brain is a machine. There's no question about this. But how that machine works, we don't know. And it might be because we might not be able to understand our own selves. Being able to figure out what you are might be something that is beyond humankind's capability. Uh, You can't think what you're thinking. You can only think what you thought, if you like that sort of a metaphor. So my guess is that we will not be able to come up with the smarts enough to be able to figure out how to build a machine that quickly outsmarts us. Now, this is a, obviously just a bare sketch. We can't do more than that on this kind of a program. Uh, I invite everybody to come back to the website. We'll have a discussion of this. We will uh, talk about AI at a different time. We don't need to understand too much of that here, uh, except to understand what its implications are for this idea of a singularity, a point at which knowledge becomes so great that humans are no longer able to comprehend it. And it takes over, so to speak, the, the many different concepts here. But uh, if you like, the idea of a singularity is the optimist's view, uh, sort of. Uh, mine is the more cynical or what, what I might claim is the realistic view of uh, limitations, realistic limitations. The optimistic view sees humankind's abilities or at least our abilities to interact with technology greater than us is sort of infinite. But I don't think that that's the case. Uh, there is a lot out there we just don't understand and never will. And I think that that is a more realistic position. Well if you don't agree with that, uh, come on back to the site wmbriggs.com and uh, register your objection. And now before we get to our final segment, a little break. All right you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my BOOMSTICK! It's a 12-gauge, double-barreled Remington. That's right. This sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about 109 dollars It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S-smart. We had a story on the website the other day a, of a, a Midville, Michigan woman who was threatened with imprisonment by the Department of something or other, some state bureaucracy, For watching her neighbors kids at a bus stop her neighbor would go to work before the school bus came and so her friend would watch them Uh, some well let's just say some caring individual ratted her out turned her into the government the government uh, because it cares about the children immediately sent her a letter saying well you're gonna have to pay a hefty fine or we're gonna throw you in jail so the reaction to this was extraordinarily negative as you can imagine one of the politicians in the area, uh, a representative, state representative, Brian Calley, uh, heard about this. He's a Republican, and uh, he was bemused, to say the least. Now, hi, let's hear from him a little bit. Uh, this is from the Channel 13 clip in Michigan at Grand Rapids Station, and then I'll talk about what he has to do. I think this is a, a, an embarrassing overreach of, of our government. State Representative Brian Callie of Portland calls the threats from the Department of Human Services outrageous. Threatening to put them in jail or fine them $1,000 for helping out their neighbor. Representative Callie is introducing a bill that permits someone to regularly babysit another person's child as long as they are not in the child care business. I'm embarrassed that there is even a law required for this. It should be common sense. It should be common sense, but it isn't. Now this is a sweet guy and he's uh, trying to do the right thing. But a better thing would be to dismantle the old laws instead of trying to create new ones. You don't need to legislate freedom. Freedom should exist by itself. Further, the burden of proof should be on the government. This woman is being presumed guilty and having to prove her innocence. This is a complete inversion of our basic liberties and it's ridiculous. That's about all the time we have this week. Uh, It's been good having you. Suggestions are always welcome. Come on back to the website or email me. Meanwhile, we can ask, what's that smell? Crossing the highway late last night. It should have looked left and it should have looked right. They didn't see the station wagon car. The skunk got squashed and there you are. You got your dead skunk in the middle of the road.